Hello, my name is Evan Zavido, and I will be having a conversation with Aidan Simon for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is August 13th, 2017, and this is being recorded at Aidan's home in Park Slope in Brooklyn. Well, so you want to start and say names, pronoun, age? Sure. Um, I'm Aidan. Um, I'm 28, um, and I by he or they. Cool. Um, and to start off, do you want to tell me a little bit or a lot about your earliest memory that you have? Um, I have like two distinct early memories. One is like way less interesting than the other. My, I think my earliest memory is when my parents took the side off of my crib and like lowered it down to be a toddler bed. And I just remember being like, wow, I'm such a big girl. Um, but I think my most like distinct early memory is um, the first time I went skiing. I was like one-on-one um, -on -one with this instructor. I was probably three. And she was like, Snow White's lost in the woods. Do you want to go find her? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so like, I don't know. I just remember like that kind of taking the focus completely off of like the activity at hand and like transporting it to this like other, like larger goal. Um, and like just getting down the mountain and being like, Oh, I just skied, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's probably like the most vivid one. And where were you living during both of those memories, or when did um, they happen? I think for both of those, I was probably living in Connecticut. I grew up primarily in Stamford, um, but my dad has worked for IBM for almost 40 years, and so we used to move around um, kind of in between California and Connecticut a lot. Okay. Where in California? Um, outside LA when I was really little, and then Palo Alto for a little while. Okay. Yeah. And when you were growing up in Connecticut or moving around, were you with siblings or mostly just you? Yeah, I have an older sister. She's like two years older than I am. Cool. Just the two of us. And do you still talk or see your sister parents? I do. Um, they're all really awesome. My sister... Um, lives in Maryland and recently had a baby and has just been really incredible in terms of being like, what do you want to be called? And like, how do you, you know, like, how do you see yourself in relationship to my kid? Um, and I was like the, I don't even know what you would call it, like the maid of honor at her wedding. Um, she called me once a couple of years ago and was like, hey, you know, I always envisioned that you would be like, my like best person at my wedding and like you know now that you've like transitioned I just want to know like how you feel about that and like you know you're like the person that I would want to do that and I was like I've literally actually never thought about who that person would be if I had a wedding like I was like oh you imagine a wedding in like a totally different capacity than I even like conceptualize of it and um my parents my dad just moved to Chicago with his partner and her child um, and we're pretty close like he we look a lot alike um, he's really great and so is my mom like they're both like I don't know like I think you know like everyone it, it took them time to like adjust to like all of these you know like gender and sexuality things um, but now they're just like oh like who's your partner like what's like 
had times where I've been, um, I've had like multiple partners and they're just like, okay, oh, like, what does your partner go by again? Like, what are their pronouns? And um, they're pretty, they're more incredible than I like, anticipated they would be, actually. And has that been kind of like a shift over time or have they generally from the start growing up? Um, I mean, we grew up, I grew up in a pretty liberal area and I think that helped a lot. And my dad's family is incredibly um, liberal. Um, I would say like I, I didn't grow up with them like exposing me to queer culture intentionally, but um, it was never something that they like had issues with. Um, and I think like any kid, like I had reservations about coming out to them. Um, but that was more about like our interpersonal relationship than like a larger concern about them politically. Do you want to share any more about like just childhood, what it was like moving around or how you do you feel like you gained your first exposure to queer culture or how you think of queer culture? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I really loved moving when I was a kid. I think because we started doing it when I was so young and in retrospect, I think because we always had like corporate movers. So it was like one day we would just like leave our house totally a mess and then like we would arrive somewhere else and everything would be like boxed up. And so there was this like magical process to it where we didn't actually have to like do all the hard emotional labor of like packing stuff. Um, but when I was 12, we moved to Palo Alto and um, at that point I had been living in Connecticut for like a long stretch of, for like the entirety of elementary school and beginning of middle school. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is so cool. Like I got to go somewhere where no one knows me at all and I can like decide like what nickname I want to go by and like how I want to sort of like front myself to these people because they have no clue who I am um and I think that was the first time that I had this kind of like conception of like recreating yourself um and we ended up moving back about a year later but it was really nice to just like have that realization um and I'm trying to think like what what was my exposure to like queer culture when I was a kid? I remember this one instance when I was I was probably seven and my mom and my sister and I were going to the library and there was this guy got out of the car and there was this man who was wearing his watch on his right hand and someone at school must have told me that like that signified that you were gay and I was like Leah, Leah, like, that guy's gay. She was like, what What are you talking about? And he's like, he's wearing his watch in his right hand. And she was like, you're stupid, and you shouldn't say that. But I remember her saying that in this way that was like, it wasn't like, it's bad to be gay. It was like, you shouldn't, like, say things about people that are, like, unkind. Or, because that was my, like, part of my intention. Um... And that, you know, you shouldn't just, like, say stupid things. Um, but I'm trying to think. I don't know. Like, I don't... 
I don't remember a moment at which I was like exposed to like queerness in any capacity when I was young but I think that's just because it was never like it was always like there in some way um I went to when I was in high school when I was a freshman my sister um wanted me to join the track team with her which I like reluctantly did because I'm like not someone who like exercises and um I ended up meeting my first girlfriend my sister quit track for some reason and I stayed on the track team because I was like totally infatuated with this girl and um she was a couple years older than me and um was like super tough and um just like beyond her years in terms of like life experience and uh there were all of these like girls who were out in our school who just like kind of followed her around and like wanted to be her girlfriend (laughs) um and when we started dating I told my friends and this would have been like 2002 maybe is this in Connecticut in Connecticut yeah um and I was surprised at like how easily they all were just like oh okay cool you know like it was that time that like by that point it was not such a big deal um and I think like the combo of of having a supportive friend group but also having a girlfriend who like no one would fuck with um I felt very protected and supported in my school and it was this weird thing where like we technically had a gay straight alliance but nobody felt like they needed it um I mean I would like kiss my girlfriend in school and like it wasn't a problem um I mean of course there was like always a sort of um like interest in the lesbian couple but uh other than that it was like just a non-issue um and we ended up dating on and off for for many years and she was actually she ended up joining the military and um she was abroad when i was seriously thinking about transitioning which was when i was like 16 17 um and i wrote her a letter and i was like i don't know how this is going to go because i've i've always been pretty femme and i was like definitely if you like think about that relationship that was the dynamic um and i was really lucky to like receive a letter back from her where she was like i don't care like you know you should do what makes you happy and like i'm supportive of you no matter what you want to do um which like I don't, it it continues to be the case I mean our lives have like shifted so so radically but she called me recently and she was like you know I've been she's now retired from the military and she was like all this stuff that's going on with like the transgender ban that's like being proposed is just like preposterous and it's like making me think a lot about you and um it's just like really disheartening um yeah, but it's just like, it's, I think, 
I think back and like it's such a blessing to have had like a really strong support system like consistently throughout my young life and when you wrote that letter was that something that you were already talking about with other people or um I think my best friend maybe knew at that point um but that would have been the extent of it was like someone who was actually there yeah and just to kind of further get a sense of growing up and moving around um in terms of like recreating your identity are there any nicknames or maybe not personas but things you adapted that are still like things that you remember or that were particularly exciting for you um not really i i had like a fairly gender neutral nickname growing up just by like happenstance um and it pretty much just stuck until I changed my name. Um, yeah. Are there any places in California or Connecticut that you went to a lot with your family or friends that you still think about or remember? Hmm. Not particularly. When I was a kid, we used to go um, with my extended family to North Carolina to the beach a lot. Um, you know, the sort of thing where, like, you've got a giant beach house and, like, all the kids are sharing the same room. Um, and that's probably one of the, like, fondest, like, travel memories that I have from childhood. Do you remember the name of the beach? Um, we would go in lots of different places in the Outer Banks, which is, like, a string of islands off of the coast and so after high school graduated you're in Connecticut do you stay in Connecticut leave I went to art school at MICA which is um, in Baltimore um, and that was like actually the the moment that I like publicly started transitioning um, it was incredible I um, got my rooming assignment for freshman year, or rooming actually is a little bit of a misnomer because it was like an apartment style um, dorm, and I had two uh, roommates who were both from Michigan, one was named Missy and one was named Katie, and I was like, oh dear god, <laughs> like how is this going to actually go over, and I can't remember if I just talked to them about it when we got there, if I like maybe we like talked on the phone or something beforehand and um katie's best friend was trans and missy's older sister's best friend was trans and um so both of them were just like oh yeah cool no worries um and that's kind of how i mean i was you know going to an art school so it wasn't really an issue at all um but there definitely wasn't like a a trans community on campus just because it was so small um and i always joke that like if you ask someone who was like going to school at that time like oh yeah that trans person they'd be like oh it, they're talking about me um but um yeah it was a pretty incredible time there was this um, 
trans support group that I started going to at this center that was like a walking distance from campus and I met this older trans woman who grew up like in like Baltimore County and um, I ended up spending a lot of time at her house because she was like this you know older trans person who was in my life and um, then I started dating someone whose ex was also trans and it was really interesting because he wasn't like an art school Baltimore person and he was like stealth and passing and um, it was it was interesting to form a relationship with him because I was like oh wow this is something that I really don't want because he had all of this like um, secrecy sort of clouding his ability to like create relationships with people that he wanted to be close with because this like thing that he was really like holding um but it was it was an interesting time I started taking hormones when I was a freshman and um like doing all this sort of like logistical transitioning stuff and I was seeing this uh it's like back in the day of like um real life experience I was like had to like think about what that even was called and I was seeing this doctor who worked with John Money and literally this like trans support group is like about like how to convince him to give you hormones <laughs> um and I would go and see him and he'd be like well you know like you don't seem that like manly like most men like wear like watches and like have like like different haircuts and like it was just this like whole um crazy idea of gender that was so like John Money and so 60s um I just lost my train of thought something about him but Oh, what I was going to say is that it, it, that, and I think this sort of moment in time um, of like, you know, fully transitioning and like fully integrating really um, affected my gender expression. And I was like very, very normatively boy for a long time. Um, I mean, I think I, I needed to do that also just to like, prove to other people that I was like actually a boy um but I I think I like transitioned at this moment where that was like increasingly not such an issue um and I'm so glad that I like straddled that edge instead of like having transitioned a lot earlier and did the support group have a name like a specific name um there were a couple of them um there was one I don't remember what it was but it was like a mixed gender trans support group and then um at some point there was one that broke off that was like mostly early in transition trans guys and then there was this other support group that I don't know how I ended up becoming a part of that was these older like 50 year old 60 year old trans guys who 
met for dinner at Panera Bread and I was fortunate to have a car and so I would drive out there and for a long time it was just me and this one older trans guy who um, was a ballerina and I think he was only coming to meet me because I think like no one else really needed it at the moment and I, I really needed to have a support group that wasn't just people who were like talking about the process of like getting all of their things taken care of. Um, but they also did this really fun thing, which was this like trans man, like buffet breakfast at someone's house once a year. Um, so this is like just funny, like old dudes, <laughs> like hangout group that I somehow like skirted into as like an 18 year old. <laughs> Were most of the people that you developed relationships with in these poor groups older folks or like a lot of intergeneral intergenerational relationships? Um, a lot of them a lot of them were um, older. There I think I was probably the youngest person even in the other support in like the younger support group. Um, but it was a lot of for whatever reason, it was a lot of like older trans women and like 30 plus trans men. And this was in Baltimore or mm-hmm. outside of Baltimore? Yeah, in Baltimore. Okay. Yeah. There used to be, I think it's now closed, but there used to be a gay bookstore and then there's a gay center and also a clinic that's similar to Callum Lord. Um, and it was sort of like triangulated between those three places. Do you remember the name of the bookstore or the clinic? Um, clinic is called... It's it, it's something like similar. It's like a two-name entity. I can't think of it right now. Um, I can't remember what any of them are called, actually. It might come to me. Okay. And what were you studying at art school? I was studying photography. Okay. Do you yeah. still do photography? Not as much. I um, ended up um, really changing to drawing and sculpture. Um, but I, I think that's largely because I went to grad school um, in Chicago at SEIC to do photography. And that school is like really known for making you for like switch your medium, um, but it's still in there. Is art photography something that you always did growing up? Um, yes and no. My grandmother is an artist, and um, she would always drag us around to museums and do. Um, she lived really close to Temple University's art school. Tyler, which used to be out in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and um, so she would take us a lot in the summer to their like art school campus, and we would do ceramics with her. Um, and she was a, a really like um, there's no way she had this like philosophy that there's like no way to like ruin a piece of art that you just have to like figure out how to fix it. Um, which I think had a big like influence on my practice and but yeah but I never um 
I don't think it was my intention until I was probably like 14 or 15 and really falling in love with cameras and photography. Uh, I, I started making a series of self-portraits when I was in high school that I think kind of happened at the right moment in terms of me like thinking about my, my practice and my identity and like realizing that there was this like triangulation between like me as the photographer, me as the like photographed object and me as like the, um, the like lived subject and and realizing that I could like use my body photographically in ways that I didn't necessarily want to like um, present myself or like live live my life um, yeah but when I was really little I didn't think of myself as a creative do you have any favorite photographers artists museums oh such <laughs> a hard one um I mean, so many and so few at the same time. Um, I work with this artist now whose name is Mika Rottenberg, whose uh, work is really incredible. She uh, is is thinking a lot about um, globalization and trade and labor and women's labor and um, like grotesque bodies. It's it's like uh, video installations, really, and a lot of like um, portals where like someone's someone's hands will be like massaging someone's like feet or something and when they pull back their hands they've pulled their entire arm out of a hole in the ground and like a farm on the other side of the world there's just these like really bizarre slips between spaces um and and very like light-handed really important conversations about all of these like issues surrounding global trade uh, yeah, she's like on my mind a lot these days. Cool. And so after Baltimore, did you go directly to Chicago? I actually came back here. Well, first I, um, I moved back in with my parents in Stanford for a little while and I started doing an internship with a gallery called Michael Foley that at the time was in Chelsea. And, um, he really took me under his wing and taught me everything that I wanted to know and was like super generous, but also like, you know, he'd be like, I feel really bad. Like you should move on and get a job. Like I can't pay you. And I was like, no, actually this is really like greatly benefiting me. Um, unlike, you know, many, many other internships. Uh, and I did that, I did that for a couple of months. And then I started interning at another gallery called Hested Crater, which is now closed. And they um, decided to bring me on as their registrar. And so I moved into an apartment in Bushwick in the McKibben Lofts and um, was living with a couple of other people who went to Micah. And I was working there for a little while and I um, had a really close friend and I was like, you know, this place is killing me. I hate thinking about like the art market all the time when I'm making things it's just this like ever present burden in my head and he was like you really should go to grad school and I was like well everyone in my undergrad program said like oh no one ever gets into grad school you have to be like 30 and have a developed career and like be like a superstar to like even think about applying to grad school and um 
fortunately he was like that's just ridiculous and like I'll help walk you through the process of applying but you absolutely should should go if you're like feeling really stuck in your practice um had he gone to grad school yeah he actually went to SAC uh, as well and had gone to MICA but as a uh to do like um a one-year master's program and um you know, so he knew everyone who was there, which was fantastic for me. Um, so I, I worked at this gallery for about nine months, and then I moved to Chicago. Uh, I went to grad school there. And then back to New York. Yeah, and then I came back after... Um, one of my good friends is a gallery director at Simon Preston, and she um, knew that her neighbor gallery called Calicoon Fine Arts was looking for an assistant and she recommended me and I was still living in Chicago at the time but I think I was in town visiting this friend of mine um, and sort of planning next steps for after grad school and um, so I went and interviewed him and like just acted like I was back living here because I was like there's no way he's gonna like hire me for to like move back here and um, I I decided to come back like specifically for this gallery because they especially at the time represented a lot of artists who were queer and gender non-conforming and had really interesting practices and um, I felt like you know, going from this very commercial gallery that was like very sales focused to going to a gallery that was thinking much more holistically about their artists, um, that I would be much happier. Um, and I moved back and I'm trying to think where I was living then. Oh, I ended up getting a, a I was started subletting a loft from, um, a musician who had a space on like, Broadway and Hughes that him and his wife and daughter had lived in for like 15 years and it's it was this building that still hadn't been um, hadn't been like brought into loft laws and um, the tenants had just been like living there forever and the management company knew that and the tenants just kind of felt like why rock the boat like why should we risk like potentially not winning this just to like you know make sure that we're we're safe like we haven't had any issues and we're just gonna like hope that that continues to be the case um and I learned how to like run electric and like build walls and like built out this loft and um Oddly enough, right after we moved in, the other tenants in the building were like, okay, we're ready to, like, get loft laws because it might, this might be, like, the last year of the last years. And um, we were in this funny situation because the prime tenant of that unit just brought a brownstone and we hadn't been there long enough to be covered, so we just, like, negotiated a buyout for ourselves and we were like, this has been great. Um, but we can't just like it's not going to work to try and hold on to it um, 
In what year or years was this? That would have been 2014, I think. So it wasn't too, not too long ago. Um, and then I briefly moved in with my partner in Bed-Stuy. And then I bounced around for a while. And then ended up um, subletting a place from a friend in Ridgewood. And then moving in with Yana here. How, like, in what ways have you seen New York change, if at all, since you've been living here, or from when you were living in Bushwick before grad school? Um, I mean, it's been such a short period of time, but it's changed so much, particularly uh, the area right around the McKibben Lofts. When I first moved there, it was, like, it was 2010, and in 2008, they had had this, like, massive bed bug infestation that the management company just, like, didn't want to fix. And so it was, like, right around the time when bed bugs were really bad here, and the city, like, finally ruled that the buildings needed to take care of it. And so still, if you Googled that building, the first thing that would come up was this New York Times article about it. And um, I think it was still really fresh in people's minds. And... Um, I knew a lot of people, mostly older people, who were like, oh, you know, is your neighborhood safe? Like, don't you have bed bugs? Like, can I walk around there with a camera? Like, I don't know. Um, and now it's, like, so gentrified <laughs> that people were like, oh, my God, you lived in the McKibben Lofts. I would die to have an apartment in the McKibben Lofts. Um, and, and that apartment actually hasn't you know the people in the apartment have changed a lot but my my best friend um moved in right before I went to grad school and he still lives there and um it's nice to have some continuity but it's it's you know changed at such an alarming rate uh yeah I mean it's crazy it's like things are the same but things are different the galleries are like continually just like moving around to like find the cheapest rent and like then everything else follows and same with same with all of us you know it's like we're put on the forefront of like gentrifying neighborhoods in different ways and um it's like such a such a crazy just like movement of people all the time it's it's so um it's so like destabilizing Jana and I went to went on a trip to Berlin in March, and um, we were staying in this like massive apartment there. It was beautiful, and while we were there, we learned that when you move into an apartment, your rent is fixed for the entire duration of your time in that apartment, and pretty much a landlord can't ask you to leave like they have to continue to rent to you for as long as you want to live there. And we were like, wow, you know, it's like a whole other level of rent stabilization. Basically, if someone moves out, they can bump up the rent as much as they want to. But once someone's living there, it's stable. Um, and I think you really feel that like, people feel a lot more um, grounded in this way, because I think one of the things that like really stresses New Yorkers is thinking like, next year I might not be able to live here, next year I might have to move, next year I might not be able to afford anything, next year, like, I don't know, like, maybe I'll get to stay, maybe I won't, maybe, like, I'm going to have to, like, move out of the city, maybe. Um, 
and I think we like we carry it with us all the time um, and I think it puts a lot of like interpersonal strain on the city too do you feel like growing up moving around a lot at all makes you feel more comfortable with that or um I think it's more that New York has made me comfortable with like with that level of moving around like I, th- I think when I was younger it was like a different space and different people but my things were always ferried around to wherever we were going um I mean, I think that's the the fortunate thing of like having this like corporate move and like having a move that's like out of abundance rather than out of lack. And I think that um, there are so many people who move as kids who like can't can't take all of their things with them. Um, and I think I was really lucky to like not have to face that like potentially traumatic like decision of like going somewhere and like not bringing certain things. Um, but I think New York has taught me to like you know not not need to like carry everything with me um and to think a lot more um like minimally about like what things are like really incredibly important to me and then like what things I can like leave behind do you want to share any things you have that are particularly precious to you um probably my most like precious object is a this like satin pink satin blanket that my mom's mom made for me when I was really little um it's like literally falling apart um and it's actually not the original one that she made she made one for me um when I was really little because I was really attached to like silky objects um and that one I think we actually lost in the move there were a couple that like were lost on like airplanes and like on moves um Uh, but but that's probably like every now and then it's like lost in a box somewhere but I know that it's like gonna gonna turn up someplace or another Um, that's probably the big one Um, yeah and do you like still travel a lot would you say not as much as I'd like to Mm -hmm. Um, Yana and my mom and I just went on a trip to to Taos which was really incredible and it was like a whole other story in itself um but I think probably like a lot of New Yorkers we like end up getting stuck here like moving without a car and like you know like being like oh going to the Rockaways is like a big trip (laughs) you know (laughs) we're like oh it's gonna take all day to get down there um I'm going we're going down to Philly next weekend um, my grandmother is turning 90 um, which will be really incredible and she's um, giving us some artworks that she made and some artworks that she's collected which is really exciting and incredible um, is this the grandmother that you did ceramics with mm-hmm yeah yeah she's still still making things do you have any like spaces physical spaces or communities in New York that are particularly important to you that you want to share Mm. I 
It's a funny one. Like, I was trying to think about that. I feel like over the years I've become a much less social New Yorker. Um, and I, th- I think, like, I have this, like, mindset of, like, I'm here. I'm here because this is, like, where there's, like, work in the art world for me. Um, I don't know that there's one space that, like, feels particularly dear to me. I think that the only space that I have, like, some sorrow about being closed, even though, like, not as an actual space, like, just that it was there as, um, excess in Chelsea, because my best friend and I used to go there all the time because he was teaching at FIT and I was working at a gallery in Chelsea, and so it was, like, a great, really cheap meeting spot for us. Um... No. Um, and so are you doing art professionally now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working on this piece for many years that's called My Little Pony. Um, started with when I was in living in Chicago and going to grad school. Um, and like starting to think about, you know, that, that maybe photography wasn't the best medium for me to be thinking in Uh, I was kind of bumping up against this issue of like um, trans photography being seen as like inherently biographical or autobiographical um, and feeling like images of trans people were kind of stuck at this moment of like self-revelation even though like photography as a medium had like really moved past that and um I was bumping heads also with my department uh, around this and that, like, and this this issue of like using my body in a way that I didn't see as autobiographical, but that was being read that way. Um, and I had a partner at the time whose name is Pony, and um, they're kind of outlandish. They're when I when I met them which was actually when I lived in the McKibben Lofts. Um, I was like, I have no idea what pronouns you go by. I have no idea, like, how you identify at all, but you are the sexiest person I've ever seen in my life. And um, Pony lives in Sydney, but happened to be in New York when we met, and um, they ended up, like, coming and traveling and visiting me over the next couple of years and I called them and I was like how do you how do you feel about um doing a piece where you're a rocking horse and they were like totally down for it I mean they're they were once in Chicago visiting me and there's this little kid who kept like looking at the two of us and trying to like figure out what was going on and um Pony just like looked at them and started like full on barking like a dog. <laughs> I was like, of course, you know, like of course you would do that. Like they're gonna go home and be like, mom, mom, like this person, like I don't know, they looked like this and that and this and that, and like they were barking at me. And their parents are gonna be like, what are you talking about? Like we were standing right next to you. Like none of this happened. Um, they just have these like really incredible ways of like diffusing usually not with children but like diffusing these situations um and so 
there was this queer show in Chicago that my partner was organizing and there wasn't my 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 partner at the time um, is also trans and uh, makes work about his queer family and um, there wasn't a lot of like trans inclusion in the show which I don't think was like an intentional oversight on his part um, but it, it was the reality of the show and um, I asked that this piece that I was working on My Little Pony be in a place that was like usually reserved for sculpture instead of performance um, and we ended up getting into this like big back and forth fight because they were worried that this gallery that's affiliated with the institution and on the eighth, eighth floor of like an office building downtown that someone across the street in their office would like see Pony who was nude and had this um, ponytail butt plug that matched their hair and was on this like wooden rocker would be like misinterpreted um, and we ended up like coming to a resolution about it uh, but it was a sort of like pivotal moment in my practice in terms of like thinking about um, like the body as an object and, and specifically like an object that belongs to the artist and what that like privileged relationship is between the artist and their object and um, this sort of like non-productive motion of the rocking horse like being this thing that's like doing this like really futile labor um, and Ollie who is curating the show asked me to um, leave something something in that space since it was a sculptural object and not a performance and so the piece ended up um, turning into this like hanging sideways swing it was really like so a lot of like wood and and little like brass trinkets and like pink things and um, this like you know raw kind of fleshy looking wood um, and then um, I just kept thinking about this idea of like things that move in place and um, this like never-ending transition and like um, like never settling in like a specific space and so that swing ended up turning into this little bridge this little like decorative garden bridge um, and then it became a swing boat in a later show in New York and then um, recently at a show uh, in a gallery called Elmac on um, in the Lower East Side that it was a mobile um, and so now it's just this kind of like it's like disembodied in this way but it still has like the traditional like arms of a mobile and like um, just all of these little like bracelets and bangles and like chains and and like knickknacks and doodads that like are are like completely non-functional but like completely affective um, yeah and then I also have like a, a drawing practice as well is there a place where people could see your work online? Yeah. Or? Um, my website is aiden-simon.com. Yeah. And could you... You mentioned, like, living in New York because it's a place for you to do art. Do you want to talk at all about the differences between doing art here versus Chicago versus Baltimore? Or mm. why New York in particular? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, it's more for me, like, New York is a place where I can get paid to, like, do art-related work. 
um, like separate from my practice. Um, I feel like I haven't spent so much time in Baltimore since I was like a pretty young person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the advantage of living in Baltimore is the cost of living is so much lower there that you actually can like experiment and have time to like really develop things. Um, and Chicago, I think, is like somewhere in between. The really beautiful thing about the art world in Chicago is that there's a lot of apartment galleries. Um, and those spaces are like really, really respected. Um, and sh- I mean, Chicago has like so many incredible art schools. So, like the, the conversations that are happening are really phenomenal and interesting. Um, and I think the, the thing that's Chicago is like interesting in and of itself because it's like large enough that there's a lot going on but it's small enough that you run kind of in the same circles all the time um and so I think there's like the space for like a a deeper conversation to develop um I mean I think Chicago is like such an interesting place to be trans also I really expected it to be um pretty unwelcoming and I was surprised to find that like I don't know like how much time you've spent in Chicago but um there's uh this like gay part of town called Boys Town which is very like literally gay white men in like polos and khakis it's like so weird and and like muscle boys too but it's it's very much that and um it's very like mask and midwestern and weird and then I think because of that because of that being like the central hub there's this like split off from that which is like the entire rest of the queer community um and when I first visited Chicago um when when men were hitting on me I would like do what I did in New York which is to be like oh like I'm I'm trans like I'm not like I'm not what you're looking for and they were like oh I know which was so different than my like what I was used to receiving in New York um and I found that Chicago was like really educated around um body politics in general like trans things and POC things and um like all just like in in such a different way and I think um and there's this like really developed community and, and people sort of travel from neighborhood to neighborhood to um, to like go to different events that are that are not just like the their local queer bar that they live by. Um, I found it to be like a much more um, open place in terms of like bodily expression much more open than you'd expected or than New York? Than I expected and then than the places that I was frequenting in New York before I moved to Chicago. Um, and I think that, that for me, like the first time I lived in New York um, is partly because I my very dear friend is a cis gay man and incredibly queer, but the spaces that, um, like he, he I don't think feels the need all the time to like, not be in spaces that are just gay men um 
and so that really shaped my the spaces that I was frequenting in New York um, and then to move to Chicago and, and find this like entirely different community that was um, that was really basing itself off of not wanting to be Boys Town uh, was really awesome so would you say that like coming back from Chicago then you were like better able to carve out spaces in New York that I think so I mean I I think so but I also think that like the I don't know like I think also there was like a, a conversational shift in those few years um that like went a little more mainstream, like 2013, 2014, 20, or like, I guess it was actually like 2011 to 2013 was when I was in Chicago. I think by the time I came back, there was a lot more awareness of like gender variance and like queerness within the gay community that like that had, had sort of opened up a little bit also. Would you say now, or do you want to speak to the ways in which you feel like the gay community, queer community is or isn't welcoming of trans identities or gender variants or why you think that shift happened um I mean I think it was such a media push at the time that like you know like I don't know like I feel like um like the early 2000s there was this this like very big media push around like normative trans identity and like normative gay identity and then that sort of like opened up into like um bigger and broader things but I think like that moment of it coming all the way to like um gender variant queer people who are like involved in the queer community and in the gay community like in terms of like mainstream media I feel like that really took until like 2011 2012 to like really start to blossom um and open up in these ways that weren't just like oh wow like pregnant transgender man and like you know like all of these just like moments that I think you know, all of us were, were really astounded by, and we were like, we've, you know, known this for years, but, um, I think it took some of those things to, like, penetrate the gay community, um, yeah, you know, like, I know that, like, all of the, there were so many spaces that, that existed, you know, for all these things well before that period, but I wasn't, like, for whatever reason, I wasn't, like, seeking them out or accessing them. Um, Do you want to say which spaces in particular, or um, places? Like, that I was hanging out before? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I spent a lot of time at Metro in those years. Um, My best friend and I generally... I think ended up there a lot because they used to keep their backyard open until like 6am 4am or like whatever time it was that they closed um and I think what what we were looking for more than like other people and like social experience was a place where we could like sit and talk outside all night um and like drink cheap drinks and that space like served that function for many years um Yeah, that like that was like where we were. Um, yeah. I guess moving into more just like you 
in your interpersonal relationships, which identities would you say of yours that you hold are the most important to you? Um, I guess I would say, like, I most frequently, like, outwardly identify myself as, like, queer and trans. Um, and, like, culturally Jewish. Um, I, th- I mean, I think, you know, that if, if we didn't have to, like, put ourselves in language to other people, like, I probably wouldn't. Um, but I think, like, given that that's, that's, like, how we understand each other, like, those are the, probably the main, um, main things that I use. Yeah. And on that, what would you say is your favorite thing about your queer trans identity? If you have. Hmm. Um, I mean, I like, I think I, I really like, like, being able to, like, float between a lot of things, um, I love, like, being able to, to, like, have all of the things that I want um, in terms of my like gender expression and like um, I'm happy that I like feel really comfortable and really like supported in um, like identifying like sort of as like a man but also like very much not and like primarily wearing women's clothes but like you know like sort of being able to like hold all of those spaces at once um and like one of the one of the things like in this like um in terms of my identity that I feel like really blessed about now is that I have a boss who 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 really like sees and values that um she actually like I don't know when I when I realized this, but I realized at some point that she didn't. N- oh, I remember she didn't know that I was trans. We had been working together for. I don't know, like six months, maybe a year, maybe a year actually. And she said to me one day. Um, she asked me something about how. If my parents had had always been, oh, actually I remember what happened. We sent around photographs of ourselves as kids one day, like sort of um, between our colleagues for some reason. And um, I saw her shortly after and she was like, oh, I saw that picture of you when you were little. It's so amazing that your parents are so supportive of you always being so femme. And I realized that she didn't know that I was trans. And, um, I said something to her like, oh, you know, we really have all these other things that we need to do. And I think this is like a larger conversation, but I'm happy to have it with you. I just don't think it's like this, this, this quick, um, like nod to this thing that you think it is. And, um, 
she sort of initially thought that I was trying to like that I was uncomfortable talking about it with my other co-workers who actually were also queer and like knew that I was trans and um we had had these conversations before and um so we had this funny um like Christmas gift exchange where we all gave her a gift of something that we really liked in high school and we gave with her a note um explaining why it was important but none of us said who they were from so her job which she loved was trying to figure out what was from who and she called me and she was like hey Aiden um I'm I'm pretty positive that I figured out which gift was from you and it's really beautiful and um I just want to know for sure if it's from you and I was like well we're really not supposed to tell you like who is like what's from who um so like I don't think that's the rules and and I was like oh I guess she figured it out she actually hadn't what I had given to her was an Ani DeFranco CD and I said um like my first girlfriend gave this to me and I used to live it listen to it all the time because I was like I'm absolutely gonna stump her and that was my like ultimate goal was just to like confuse her as much as possible because no one in my workplace identified as a lesbian and so she was calling around being like is so-and-so a lesbian is so-and-so a lesbian wait is this person a lesbian she was like (laughs) having this like whole moment of like trying to figure out like what who is this person that I like don't know this thing about and I think someone finally like gave her some clues and was like you know (laughs) it's just like other person you're like not thinking about here um but I think it's also like it's it's let her know this like other um like other component because she always saw me as like a femme gay person um and now she, you know, knows my partner who's also trans and um, has, like, understood the sort of complexity of my gender and um, she frequently sees me and she's like, you know, my, my biggest regret is that I didn't photograph that outfit that I wore to work every day of my life and I really think that you should, like, photograph your outfits. Um, which I think is, like, such a beautiful compliment to be like I see you and I'm happy that you work here and I'm happy that you dress the way that makes you feel comfortable um because I you know have not always had that um and it's it's this like this way of of saying all those things without having to um you know, really, really go there and, like, um, speak to, like, the way that she feels about my gender. It's just, like, very, um, very clear message without having to, like, go into it. That's great. Yeah. Um, and I have one more question before, just seeing if there's anything else you want to share, which is that if you wanted to be remembered by one thing or say one thing for folks to hear from you what would it be oh gosh um 
I mean, I think... This is the thing that's, like, really striking to me about, like, this, like, oral history project and, like, um, contributing to it is that, um, you know, it's always, like, it's a project for our community, like, both, like, present and future, and, um, I personally, like, feel really blessed that, like, when I was, you know, going through high school and, and, and in later years, I had so much access to, um, stories about other trans people and queer people, and, um, I think it's really important to, like, be able to be a part of this, like, project of people who's, like, sharing our experiences with each other and with, like, future versions of ourselves. Is there anything else that we did not talk about that you want to talk about or share? No, I think we talked about a lot. All right, cool. Thank you so much. Thank you.